This episode is sponsored by Accenture, proud partners of the Manufacturer Podcast. Manufacturer Podcast today, a deep dive into advanced manufacturing technology and how it can help drive and achieve sustainable growth within the industry. Our partners Accenture and software company Dassault System explain all. While we get excited about that, we also explore the idea of calm technology. Tech that doesn't need all of our attention, just some of it and only when necessary. Sound good? Well, stay with us because we've got all that to come in today's episode. Well, 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 if it isn't episode five of our technology series on the Manufacturer Podcast, hello to you, listener. I'm joined, as I usually am, by the rest of our editorial team. Editor Joe, hello. Good afternoon, Tom. How are you doing? I'm um, dangerously well, mate. Yeah, just returned from a, a wee trip to Bruges, of course, haven't you? I have. I have indeed. Many, many beers were drunk, oh. and, um, as, as, as is the way in Bruges, there's thousands to try, so um, it's, uh, yeah, lovely, lovely. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. Lucky so-and-so. And our reporter, Lana, could do with a holiday, actually, because she's had an awful week. Thus far, Hello, uh, mate. Oh, I really have, yeah. and it's just as well because I'm about to go on holiday. So you are, and you can talk about your trials and tribulations later, but enough of the nonsense for now, as amusing as it is, you two be silent because we're going to kick off with the first section of this episode. We are delighted to welcome our episode sponsor Accenture onto the podcast to talk about the latest technology and how it's been applied in the manufacturing world and in turn how tech enables sustainability, sustainable growth within the industry, which is obviously hugely important at the moment. We have Dan Farrell joining us from Accenture. Dan, welcome to the pod. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, and um, tell us a little bit also about Industry X at Accenture. What's that all about? Thank you, uh, Tom. Um, so, uh, hey folks, my name's Dan Farrell. I'm um, uh, an engineer by trade, uh, kind of graduated from Brunel many, many years ago, uh, and I've spent uh, pretty much all of my career since then uh, with Accenture, barring a, a little jaunt into automotive uh, at the beginning. Um, and uh, every sort of uh, my years at Accenture, I've seen various different contexts, generally looking at kind of engineering and delivery of new products, uh, and increasingly now, and under our new Industry X banner, uh, looking at kind of how we link engineering and manufacturing together to optimise um, efficiency and outputs and results, and how we use digital modern tech to really kind of optimise those processes and deliver the best possible outcomes for our clients. And it's handy because we're in this series all about technology, so you fit in quite nicely, Dan. If you could tell us what technology innovations you see making a real impact on manufacturing in the coming years, what would they be? So we're expecting um, kind of larger scale adoptions of you know the recent innovations in uh, in the use of digital tech and the use of this smart use of data across kind of manufacturing uh, context and the built environment in in across large scale infrastructure and so on. Um, we see more and more value in leveraging digital simulation and twin technology to be able to understand and model. Uh, changes in behaviour, the way things work, the way things respond to stimuli, uh, 
and to be able to kind of understand the changes we're going to make before we make them. So uh, we're investing a lot of time and energy in terms of looking at the value we can achieve from digital twins um, and how we can uh, enable those in all kinds of different kind of industrial contexts, you know, from process to discrete manufacturing, um, uh, looking at you know, really a focus on value and what difference can it make for our clients. Um, and it gets us into all kinds of full con fun contexts around you know, smart use of uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence in certain situations, mm. uh, how that can enable greater levels of automation and closed loop feedback systems. Um, uh, we've even started to think about the metaverse uh, and how do virtualization technologies kind of play in this context. And we think that you know, we think there's, uh, there's something to be said about that as well. Exciting stuff for sure. Your experience then of digital twins, how can they be leveraged in, in the manufacturing context? What do we think of as a digital twin? I guess, I guess if, we, if we start at the beginning. So sure. you know, really what we're talking about here is smart use of the right data at the right time in the right hands end to end in the product development and manufacturing process. So, you know, we're all in search of that golden thread, a digital end to end thread. Um, but, uh, you know, we think, you know, our first kind of step on the road is, you know, where's my data? How do I get everything together? How do I use tech to kind of make that easier than it was you know, a handful of years ago, um, adopting cloud technologies and data lakes and so on, so that I can actually access the information I need at the point where I need it. Um, once we've kind of realized the kind of, let's call it the data asset, um, uh, then we start to refine that flow of data, making sure we've kind of got contextualized, harmonized, really useful data at the point of need. Um, and I guess what we're seeing now is with kind of a consumerization of tech devices, with with clever ways to visualize different outcomes uh, and different visualizations te technologies, we can put data in the hands of technicians, of operators, of plant managers that allow them to have visibility that they just didn't have before. Uh, and we're seeing all kinds of different use cases where um, this can enable, you know, marginal gains in productivity, but also transformationally different ways of operating plants and facilities. And then touching on the, the metaverse and simulation um, what role does that have to play in the manufacturing world and what value can that add so so i guess this is being a, a little playful really when we think about the metaverse everyone maybe has a view of at the moment of the metaverse and how it's going to change the world and augment and adapt our, our, kind, of, our kind of world um, and, and i guess when it comes to um if i think about the manufacturing context um you know we think that kind of virtualization tech you know kind of being able to kind of um take a view on, on environments before they're built, before they're created, model kind of outcomes before they're delivered, is going to be a core competency, an absolutely key kind of capability for our clients in future. Uh, how that relates to the metaverse? Well, I, I think as we put together our digital twins, as we simulate environments in the in the iPad that are in the hands of the technician, you know, we're really trying to, trying to create more and more interactive ways of interacting can say that uh, <laughs> kind of with, with the asset base and, and, and with the shop floor. So, you know, we're, we're looking at things like um, visual virtualization tech to enable kind of training in virtual environments. You know, we're putting headsets on folks and, you know, kind of training folks in things that you know, before they're built and before they're commissioned, uh, augmenting workers so that, you know, there's kind of real time delivery of information in ways which are quite seamless and frictionless. Um, modeling environments and allow folks to 
interact with those environments before they're commissioned. Um, you know, I think it's early days, but uh, I think we can see kind of benefits. Is this the metaverse? Um, I, I'm not sure, but for sure, kind of more reversive, kind of extended reality tech, I think, has mm. a role to play. And I think, you know, we'll see it become more and more practical and available uh, to extend to different contexts in the future. And then when it comes to challenges and roadblocks around digital and technology adoption, it does seem to vary. Um, but what what roadblocks do you see to the adoption of this particular tech, this new tech, when it comes to really implementing it onto the shop floor? Yeah, I think it's a it's a, it's a good question. It seems to me that uh, often comes up, you know, when talks to clients and um, thinking through the genuine value that these things can create and the rate at which value can be delivered. You know, what's the bottom line? You know, what's the kind of the payback period in a business case? Um, uh, and if we're honest, you know, Industry X is a, a fairly new uh, business for Accenture, uh, applying digital and modern tech across the engineering and manufacturing value chain. Uh, I think we're, you know, relatively early days in terms of the adoption of some of this stuff. Um, and I think we're coming from a place where we've done prototypes and proof of concepts and some great stuff in some individual environments. But some things that haven't necessarily scaled, and I think I, I think we you know we see a little bit of fatigue out there actually when we talk to our clients uh, around ah oh, we've tried that we we attempted that in Latin America and it took a dive and you know we tried this in one of our plants and it was great for twenty minutes and then we mm -hmm. lost the value. So I think our view would be to be really crisp. It's, it's so important to be really crisp around the difference we're trying to make with technology. It's not for tech's sake. It's not build it and there will come. It's you know, you know focusing on. A financial loss or inefficiency, you know, really clearly measured metrics that we can make a difference to, um, and then rigorously kind of um, tracking the difference we make over time, and also starting small but having a really clear plan of how you get from small to big, yeah, from plant one to plant three hundred. Because it's easy to get overexcited and jump straight in, isn't it? I mean, you must see that all the time. It is. It it, it really is, and, and some of this stuff is is intriguing and it's fun, and um, you know, we see a number of cases where we'll do a. A couple of plants we'll, we'll do a few prototypes and, and deliver what we think is a great outcome um but to get a board bought in to get the cfo to put you know substantial funds amounts of money for some of the things we're talking about here yeah. and to really get into kind of the global rollout mode um takes some hearts and minds it takes a really clear articulation so i think you know being outcome led kind of really business case focused um but then having a, a really good storyline around the, the journey and the adoption curve um are super important and then bringing the sustainability element of, of this into, into what we're talking about, because this is obviously widely spoken about how tech and digital can drive sustainable growth within manufacturing. So how does tech enable greater levels of sustainability? The tech you've just been talking about, Dan. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I think we end up using that, that twin word quite a lot, inevitably. But uh, again, I think to be able to um, model and simulate outcomes uh, in a way which is kind of low cost in a, in a computer environment, uh, it saves a whole load of waste. Uh, and, and really that's kind of what we're in it for, I think. You know, let's eliminate that waste. Let's not create the prototype until we need to. Let's make sure that the first uh, the first products off the production line is right first time and we're not going to go back and you know, retool and rework. Um, I think that that's where we can get to. Uh, and I think, you know, you know that there's these kind of modeling technologies are more and more addressable now. We're not talking kind of complex scientific codes and difficult algorithms. These these things, I think, they can be done quite practically. So I guess what we're looking at is how do we apply modeling and twin tech 
to kind of model sustainability impact. We're doing things like CO2 modeling in various different contexts, uh, large scale infrastructure projects, for example. Um, and we're looking at kind of just how do we um, enable as much of the um, uh, engineering and manufacturing process to be kind of and any changes perhaps to the manufacturing process to be virtualized so we can properly understand the impact and not waste time, effort, money, CO2 when we come to implementing end of wireless. And how do we assess the impact that, that this can make on manufacturers, businesses, sustainability goals? So this is a, a, a great question um, and something we've been wrangling with. I guess it re relates back to you know the broader use of twins and, and, and mm. tech in the manufacturing context. How, how do you know what how much difference it makes? How do you kind of get hearts and minds and, and, and adoption to happen? Um, and actually, we, we spent a bit of time thinking about this um, with with, uh, uh, with the guys at Dassault System, who, who we work with quite closely in a number of um, kind of uh, these contexts. And we did a little bit of analysis actually around, you know, where, where's the value? Uh, and what difference can this make? Um, you know, we, we looked at it based on use cases and contexts. We looked at, uh, um, I think it was five kind of different um, contexts around construction, consumer goods, transport and mobility, life sciences, electrical electronics. We, we get kind of looked in particular verticals and particular use cases. Um, and there's a very lengthy white paper out there for those that are interested. Uh, but, you know, we think there's there's trillions of dollars uh, to be had, you know, gigatons of CO2 emissions to be reduced in the next kind of um, 25 years or so. Um, so, yeah, there's some good analysis out there. Um, I think, um, you know, as I say, we've got a, a ton more detail on how do you bring that to life and how does it get delivered? Um, uh, which is why we work very closely with um, with our colleagues over at DASO. Well, that brings us on quite nicely, actually, to Severine, who joins us from Dassault System. Uh, Severine, thank you very much for coming on to uh, the podcast to join us. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and why this topic is relevant to Dassault at the moment. Thank you very much, Dom, and I'm delighted to be here. So um, I'm the Public Services and Education Director for Dassault System in Northern Europe. And uh, everything that I do is underpinned by our will, uh, willingness to really push business sustainability. Uh, so my role is to make sure that we work well with our public sector ecosystem and also uh, empower the workforce of the future to make sure they've got the, the right skills for a sustainable and, um, and, and digital future. And for Dassault Systems, sustainability um, empowered by virtual twins is very important because we know that uh, we have to enable sustainable innovation and transition towards uh, greener and more inclusive um, innovation in the future. We've just been talking about some of the issues in that adoption. So bringing this to manufacturing, what are the key things that uh, leaders in manufacturing need to consider when it comes to adopting virtual twin technology for sustainable growth. Yeah, so, so Dan mentioned um, our joint study between Dassault System and Accenture, and actually it was a very interesting way for us to crystallize the key recommendations that we see are important, uh, including for our manufacturing uh, colleagues. So the first pillar, I would say, is around tying together technology and sustainability agendas so that you don't see these as, as two parallel revolutions or, or transitions within your organizations, and that you can talk about how technology 
technology enables and is your your uh, partner in, in terms of reaching your sustainability goals. The second one is around improving the understanding of virtual twin technology because uh, I, I think that uh, speaking about the value about the specific use cases will be a great way for uh, our manufacturing champions to understand you know what it can do for them and uh, why uh, rapid adoption is very useful. And the third pillar for us is trying to focus on disruptive and system uh, change use cases so that you can uh, scale quickly solutions uh, with a transformational impact um, in, in relation to sustainability. And finally, I think it's important to make sure you rally around your ecosystem so that uh, you've got uh, a broad support uh, around the value of, of virtual twins, uh, including your private uh, uh, partners, but also the public sector and, and civil society, because that will ensure the long term success um, of the adoption of virtual twins for sustainability. And we've had quite a sustainability focused chat so far and rightly so it is a huge issue but there are obviously other issues that manufacturers want to drive and improve on so what other benefits and potential do you see from this technology so so for me there's there's also an issue around uh, the transformation of business models because you need to adapt you need to transform into this experience economy so in addition to the very sizable environmental and sustainability benefits i think virtual twins will have the potential to create more disruptive innovation and design uh, that can enable uh, new services uh, also maybe reduce uh, regulatory and uh, health and safety risks um, and uh, a key one for us is enabling more collaboration and co-working. We've been speaking for a long time about how uh, manufacturers need to uh, break silos, but I think the, the virtual team technology, having one single source of truth, uh, will allow for that true collaboration across functions. Well, the future certainly does sound exciting. Dan and Severine, thank you so much for joining us on the Manufacturer Podcast. That was a really interesting insight. Xerox Park was founded back in 1970. Anyone ever heard of it? No. Well, it's a, well, it still is a research institute that, that nowadays is looking at three key impact areas, 3D additive manufacturing, industrial and commercial grade IoT, and clean tech, climate technology. But even back in the 70s, this research institute was creating ways of thinking that hadn't really been thought of. And they were making predictions about the use of technology, which are kind of coming true now, which is pretty mental. Two Xerox Park members, Mark Weiser and John Seeley Brown, they wrote a paper in 1996 called The Coming Age of Calm Technology. They wrote the important waves of technological change are those that fundamentally alter the place of technology in our lives. What matters is not technology itself, but its relationship to us, which is interesting. Amber Case is a cyborg anthropologist. Wow. And she did a keynote back in 2020, actually at Digital Manufacturing Week in 2020. And I'm going to play you a bit of it now. How I learned about Calm Technology is that I was in college and I decided to write my thesis on mobile phones. In 2007, the iPhone had just come out and I thought that the iPhone with its liquid screen might change how we interacted with it. And along the way, I was researching Xerox Park 
And this research institute had people that were creating the future before the future happened. And they had some theory and ideas about what would happen when we had so many devices that they outnumbered people. And at that point, the relationship between technology and humanity would be permanently altered. So I wanted to take some of that information from the 80s and the 90s and kind of modernize it because we are now in the era that they predicted. And because we're in that era, we need some guidance. So we live in an era of interruptive technology. We have the internet going out all the time. We have alerts, we have messages, we have other people talking to us, we have emails, we have things that we remember to do right as we're settling in to go to sleep. And we already have all these different devices that are speaking to us. And if you have a job maintaining any sort of equipment, you, you have all those alerts as well. So the smartwatch came out that kind of replicates what's on your phone. It's, it's gotten a lot better now because you can customize the alerts. But then when you start to make smart objects, like the smart fridge, I've, I've talked with so many different uh, manufacturers and they said, we would like to have a smart fridge. I say, well, what features would you like in the smart fridge? And they said, we would like to have a feature that tells you when the banana has gone bad and to buy new bananas at the store. I said, I don't know about you, but I don't think that I want to have a fridge that costs, you know, two million in development in a, in a startup that might not exist in a couple of years to tell me something that I as a human know to do when I go to the store, which is to buy bananas. And also the banana pill tells you when it's gone bad, it turns brown. So why are we replicating nature with all of this like machine vision and AI just to tell us what's in our fridge? A smarter fridge would be able to predict when your power is going out or there could be a, a smart faucet that just shows a color of what the water is so you don't stick your hands under scalding water. When you put all these things together, you get what I like to call the dystopian kitchen of the future in which everything speaks a different alert style. All of it is connected to the web somehow. Um, it takes more bandwidth than streaming Game of Thrones on Netflix and it all catastrophically fails in weird ways that are unpredictable. Plus, everything's written in a different programming language. It's affiliated with a different startup. And uh, when you get divorced, so to speak, you have to hand all of that equipment over to somebody else or if you move houses. There's a reason why people are buying mid-century modern appliances and, and older appliances because they were built in an era in which we, our primary task was to be human, not constantly be using technology. There was a kind of glanceability where you could tell if something was happening or not, not constantly being alerted. I don't think that this smart technology really treats us as if we are smart humans, and we really need smarter humans, not smarter technology. So we need a kind of calm technology. So calm technology is an example of something that shouldn't require all our attention, just some of it, and only when necessary. So it's about making technology less needy, in Amber's words. She says, as part of her presentation two years ago, she said, I think of technology that doesn't grab our attention. I think of a, a light switch. So a light switch is simple. You don't need a degree in engineering to be an electrician to work it. If you want to be an electrician, you can easily unfit it and fix it if it's not working. So, you know, this is a technology of the past and a generally unremarkable everyday tool as far as most people are 
concerned, but it's also an example of technology that isn't time-consuming, annoying, or unreliable. It's invisible technology, according to Amber. And I know this was something that was spoken about two years ago at an event that we did back in 2020, but it is so interesting and, and kind of relevant to this. If it's complicated, then it's going to be hard to integrate, isn't it? When we bring this back to a, a manufacturing level, you know, if, if you're telling workers stuff that they can already see or they already know, it's pointless. So, you know, while automation and robotics obviously needs to continue and will continue, it's further proof, isn't it, that it can never really fully replace a human workforce. You know, there needs it needs to make people's life easier and it needs to be understandable. Well, that's the end. We just have time for Lana to tell us about her awful week and i know you're listening to this on a friday listener but but it's it's only tuesday at the time of recording and and you've just had a nightmare i i truly have and this whole chain of events actually started last week when i had lots of things go wrong which i won't go into now but i will tell you about this week start a new week afresh um last night on monday thought I'd have a nice relaxing evening. I just got some new clothes delivered for my holiday and I was trying on a new dress and the zipper got stuck and I just couldn't get out of it. No matter how much I tried, I could not get out of this dress and I was stuck in it for <laughs> hours. I was home alone, so I had no assistance to get out of it. <laughs> I um, got so claustrophobic in this because I just wanted to get out of the dress. I needed to start cooking dinner and I didn't want to start cooking this risotto in this new dress. Well, yeah, ex exactly. So it was probably about two hours uh, by the time I actually got out of it. I ended up having to Google how to get out of a stuck zipper. Um <laughs> And and it did it did help because I did manage yeah. to get out in the end, um, but it was very stressful. How did you do it, Lana? With Vaseline. <laughs> there are many things you can use. And if, listener, you ever get stuck in a zipper, you can also use a pencil because the lead helps the zipper. Um, but really? I, tr I truly, I would truly recommend work? Vaseline. So just running a pencil over a zip? Apparently. And the lead helps to loosen the zipper. Technology, eh? <laughs> no. There you go. We should make this a regular part of, of the podcast, you know, stories from... Stories from Lana. Yeah. The, the, the life yeah. of Lana. Yeah. I hope this makes you smile um, or laugh at my misfortune. Laugh? Lana, I said, if I was there and saw you stuck in a dress, I'd have burst. <laughs> That is the end. What a great episode. Thanks, lads, for that little chat. Uh, we're going to take a break, actually, because next week is the Platinum Jubilee weekend. God save the Queen, hashtag three-day week and all that. Uh, but in two weeks' time, it'll be the last episode in this technology series. So uh, do tune in for that, because I've got a little surprise in store. Ooh. And I don't think you're going to like it. Oh. <laughs> a sincere thanks to uh, Dan from Accenture and Severine from Dassault System for their time and insights earlier and our thanks to you as always listener hope you've enjoyed yourselves and we hope to see you next time goodbye this episode was sponsored by Accenture proud partners of the manufacturer podcast